0: was February 1952, there was a bad storm out in the ocean, I believe they call it a a nor'easter when it's a real bad storm, and this particular storm was bad enough, it wreaked enough havoc on a T2 oil tanker, for those of you who aren't in the shipping business, that's a big boat, and it split in half, the surviving crew was around 30 people, And the task was given to a Coast Guard captain named Bernie Weber to go out in that storm and save these people, bring them back. Now, I haven't seen the movie. I haven't read the book. It's based on true events from the actual United States Coast Guard, and it's called The Finest Hours. The unique thing about the trailer of this movie is there's a scene where the townspeople, someone from the town, says to Bernie Weber, it's a suicide mission for you to go out there. You'll never come back. And Bernie responds with this. The Coast Guard tells us we got to go out. They don't say nothing about we got to come back. He knew when he stepped up in service to our country and signed on the line that he was going to be in the Coast Guard, he knew what he was called to do. And in that moment, when other people were like, no, 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 think of yourself. Suicide mission, you'll never make it back. You're taking three other people with you. He knew what he had to do. He knew what he was called to do. Now, my question is, do you know what you're called to do? You see, as Christians, when we're saved from our sins, we become a follower of Christ. We need to understand that in our service to our Lord, our Heavenly Father wants us to follow our calling. That only works when you know what you're called to do. Our calling will be fulfilled when we're able to love God and love others. This is the call of the believer, to love. As we go into this month, we're going to talk about the secret of love. And what I want you to know today Phase one, if you will, love is the call of the believer. Will you pray with me? Father God, I thank you that we could be here today, that we can come, that we could open up your word. We can look at it, we can reflect on it. We can be challenged by it. More importantly, that we can be changed by it. I pray that we'll understand what it is you've called us to do. In that simple word, love, open our hearts, open our minds to a better understanding of what you would have us do so that we could honor you with our lives. In your son's name I pray, amen. Now some people would say that our calling as followers of Christ is to impact society through political and social means by voting and obeying the laws, by being a good citizen of the land, if you will, and, and by providing assistance for people in need. Now these activities are They're good, and they're good for responsible believers to participate in. But they're not the main calling that's on our lives. Uh, Some people feel that our calling is to attend church, learn about the Bible, and worship. Worship God every Sunday. Again, I have to say that's a good practice for the Christian, but it's not our main calling. Still, others would say that our focus should be uh, that we should pray for, we should practice signs and wonders, including experiencing encounters with the Holy Spirit. While well, these can be beneficial at times, the life of a Christian, in the life of a Christian, they are not the calling of a Christian in and of itself. And now the desire for signs and wonders, is, as well as spiritual experiences is not a bad thing, but without proper basis and wisdom of God's Word, they can actually become a distraction. They can become a hindrance to the true calling of the believer. I believe that the call in the life of a follower of Christ is threefold. And one part of that call as a Christian is found in Matthew chapter 22. You can go ahead and turn there, verses 36 through 40. And in this passage, Jesus is asked a question. What is the greatest commandment? Teacher, which is the greatest commandment in the law? Jesus replied, love the Lord your God with all your heart. With all your soul, with all your mind. This is the first and greatest commandment. Matthew goes on to state another aspect of this calling to love God when he writes, and the second is like it, love your neighbor as yourself. All the law and prophets hang on these two commandments. Now listen, this is not the first time that Jesus' audience has heard these words. He's actually quoting Deuteronomy chapter six, verses four through six, where in Deuteronomy it says, Hear, O Israel, the Lord, our God, the Lord is one. Love the Lord, your God, with all your heart, with all your soul and with all your strength. These commandments that I give you today are to be on your hearts. They knew these words. And then he quoted in Leviticus as well, verses 19, or chapter 19, verse 18. He said, do not seek revenge or bear a grudge against anyone among your people, but love your neighbor as yourself. I am the Lord. So they asked Jesus, what is the greatest commandment? I guess they thought Jesus was going to change his mind or something, but he repeats back to them what they grew up knowing and hearing. The, the uh, verses from Deuteronomy, they actually put in a little box called a phylactery and they tied it to their head. They repeated those words day in and day out. But as Jesus is here, the same people who knew those words are saying, Hey, what's the greatest commandment? (laughs) He said, Love the Lord your God with all your heart, with all your mind, with all your strength, with all your soul. And love your neighbor as yourself. You see, in sharing these words, Jesus demonstrates that his respect for the entirety of God's word. In, In sharing those words, he's basically explaining to them that he came to fulfill the Old Testament law, not to do away with it. The magnitude of this love And this commandment is great because it's not only directed towards God, but it's directed towards others. Love God. Love others. Sometimes it's a lot easier to love God than it is to love others. But it's a package deal. The Greek word that's used for love in this passage is agape. Say that with me. Agape. I just taught you Greek. See? It's one of the words on the heart that's used to unlock the secrets of love this month. Agape is a deep, self-sacrificial love where you love seeking nothing for yourself. You love expecting nothing in return. Have you ever tried to love like this? Because usually when we love, we're going to get something else in return for that love. But what if we loved our spouses like that? A deep, self-sacrificial love. Not seeking anything in return except just to love your spouse. Love your kids like this. Love uh, kids, love your parents like this. What if we loved our God like this? Imagine what Huntsville Christian Church would look like if if we made it a point to love God with a deep self sacrificial love, seeking nothing else in return for ourselves, but only trying to love and honor Him. When we do that, when we love like that, our focus and our attention is on the person receiving the love. Our passion, our dedication is to serve them with your whole heart, with your whole mind, with your soul. This is the love that we should have for God as a follower of Christ. And because this is the type of love God has for us, we should love him the same way. It's also the love that Jesus demonstrated when he died for us, for the forgiveness of our sins. This calling to love God and love others is repeated in Luke and in Mark as well. You can write these down, Luke 10, uh, 25 through 27, and Mark 12, 28 through 31. And go back and look at them this week. It's, It's interesting because in Mark, in addition to saying, love the Lord your God with all your heart, mind, and soul, he added a word. The word he added is strength. When he talked about how we should love God, he added strength. Loving God would seem to be a natural response. It would, it would come from the experience of, of receiving forgiveness for all of our sins, past, present, and future. But often our past experiences and, truthfully, our inadequate knowledge of God keeps us from really having the ability to know how to love with this agape fashion. It's a love that we never knew before we knew Christ. It's, it's a love that we never gave before we loved Christ. It's a love we were never really equipped to have before we loved Christ. Burdened by sin. We're a slave to sinful flesh within us. We're, our sins of the past, this, this love, it's a stranger to us until we begin to love Christ. And When that happens, we should begin dying to our old selves. Buried in the waters of baptism for the forgiveness of your sins, to receive the gift of the Holy Spirit. And then the Holy Spirit begins to prompt us in how to respond to our loving Savior, our Heavenly Father. And, and the Holy Spirit begins to reveal the meaning of Scripture, which tutors us in, the, in this calling to love God and love others. The Bible contains so many examples of how to love in this agape fashion. All we have to do is look at it and read it and understand it. It teaches us what it means to love this way and how the Holy Spirit can empower us to truly love in the same way that God loves us. Now, the training ground for loving God is is in obedience to God's commands. We're only going to find that in His Word. This is also the proving ground for our love for Him as well. John the Apostle speaks to this truth in 1 John 5, 3, where he writes, everyone who believes that Jesus is the Christ is born of God, and everyone who loves the Father loves his child as well. This is how we know that we love the children of God, by loving God and carrying out his commands. In fact, this is love for God, to keep his commands, and his commands are not burdensome. I think that's a key word. Many people think that obeying Keeping God's commands, obeying God's commands is a burdensome thing. You, you talk to somebody about Christianity. there's too many rules. I can't do that. <laughs> you kidding? No, it's simple. Love God, love others. There's two rules. It's easy. If you're not if you're not truly in love with the Lord, you're going to have a hard time with that. But when you're walking in step with God, when you're loving God with all your heart, with all your mind, with your soul, the commands and the laws of God are a pleasure. What He expects of us, it's a pleasure to live by, and it brings joy to, to your house, to your life. And it brings security. And it brings the blessing of His guidelines. In Matthew chapter 22, verses 36 through 40, we have this description. First, we love Him with our whole heart. The word for heart here in the original language stands for the core of a person's identity. It's not your... It's not physical heart beating. Practice that all week. It's your core. It's the the inner self that thinks, that feels, that decides. And the Bible, the word for heart, has a much broader meaning than it does to us today. I love you with my whole heart. It's filled with chocolate. No. Your core, your heart is your core. It's, it's, it's central to man. And when we think of the heart, um, when they thought of the heart, it was, it was like the seed of your emotions. The Hebrew person, when Jesus said, with all your heart, they thought of it as their thoughts and their mind and, the, and their will even, like everything about you. Proverbs 4.23, it changes how you look at something like that. Proverbs 4.23 says, it tells us to guard your heart with all diligence, for out of it are the issues of life. Everything comes out of our heart. Everything comes out of your core. The heart reflects the feelings of the mind, the thoughts of the intellect, which produce the thoughts we think, the words we say, as well as the actions that we carry out in life. See, it's not just your heart that pumps blood. It's your heart. It's your core. It's everything that you are. Proverbs 23, 7 also reveals what, that we think what we think in our heart reveals who we really are. So we're called to love God with the deepest part of our heart, which are the thoughts and the feelings that are within us. The next thing, we're told to love God with all of our soul. So first, it's love is the secret here. It's love God with all your heart. Love God with your core. Love Him with everything about you. The next thing is love God with all our soul. The soul relates to emotion to our emotion of thought, if you will. It's that part that motivates and directs our actions. It indicates not only the entire inner nature of man, but his entire personality. Matthew 26, 38 says, My soul is exceedingly sorrowful. The soul has emotion, but it drives actions and thoughts. To love God with all your soul means we are to love Him with everything we are as a person. Not just with an hour on Sunday. Not just... What a moment of family devotion during the week. Love God with everything you are, your entire being and personality. Whether you're quiet and reserved or outgoing and crazy, whether you're an intellectual and a thinker, whatever it is you are, we are to love God with all of who we are. That's how he made us. Think about that for a second. What a joy it is for God when all of us actually love him the way we should with with that unique soul, the the variety of love that he must experience when when we love him, and, and the love is given by introverts and extroverts, and, and and all these different people, and we express our love towards him. So we love him with our heart, we love him with our soul, and the next thing we're instructed to love God with is our entire mind. Now the human mind still baffles scientists because. They say the average person only uses 10% of their mind, which means that most of us only get by with about 2.5% of our mind being active. Love God with your entire mind. It refers to our thinking capacity. What we think is important to God, especially in how we love Him. He wants our thoughts to be focused on loving Him. He doesn't want our thoughts to be focused on, on greed or, or on covetousness or on on getting above somebody else at work. He wants our thoughts to be focused on Him. Why? Why is that important? Why is it even important that we study His Word? It's important because we need to be buried deep in the Word so that the Word can be buried deep within our mind and our thought life and our heart and our core. Our whole mind, not just a couple percent. Use your whole mind to be thinking about what God would have you do. It's often been said that most spiritual battles are focused on what we think in our mind. Because what happens is our mind makes decisions for how we're going to act. And sometimes we give up on a spiritual battle because in our mind we've already lost. Our mind can have a huge influence over our heart and our soul. It can turn us from sin and disobedience if we listen to godly guidance. But it can also lead us into sin and disobedience if we choose not to Listen to godly guidance. The mind is a very important part of a balanced Christian's life. Emotions and feelings in our heart, and our soul. People say all the time, just do what your heart says. No, that's dumb. (laughs) Your heart will lead you astray. Your heart will will cause you to do stupid things. Your core, that's better. That core heart, follow that. Your mind, your soul, follow those things. Emotions and feelings are going to get you in trouble. If we let them rule our lives without the balance of the mind, we can run down all sorts of paths of imbalance and distraction and destruction. You see, the Corinthian church is a good example of this because they, they possessed all the spiritual gifts, but their emotions got the best of them. Think about that the next time you read through first and second Corinthians. Their, their emotions got the best of them because there was this imbalance in the church. And Paul, because of that imbalance, he wrote letters to the Corinthian church. They weren't just for encouragement. He did encourage them, but he was, he was holding them accountable because what happened, the Christians at Corinth had gotten out of control with their emotional passions. They were stressing experience over careful godly thinking with a mind focused on God's Word. You, you could say they got caught up in that. That's well, what we've always done. It's experience. You can see from what I've said before, there's a blending of the heart, the soul, the mind. When you attempt to define these aspects or these parts of who a person is. We've got another reference related. I shared it with you a little bit ago. Um, it's the last one in the way we can love God. It's Mark 1230. We're told to love God with all our strength. This refers to the degree that we commit ourselves to love God. How, how committed are you? There, there's, there's involvement and there's commitment. Involvement gives you a way out. And I'm involved at church. If you're involved at church, you've always got a way out. But when you're committed at church, you don't have that luxury of a scapegoat. Let me put it to you this way. Who had, who had eggs for breakfast? Anybody? All right. Anybody have bacon or sausage with their eggs or ham? It's okay. It's, I'm not going to judge you. All right? The chicken was involved because it laid the eggs. The pig was committed. Okay? Do you see that? That's that's what Mark's talking about here. You'll you'll get that later. Some of you are like, I'm never eating bacon again. There's a difference between involvement and committed. You can't hold anything back. When, When you're put on the full force and power of who we are in our heart, mind, soul, and strength... And we put that behind the love we give to our God. We don't hold anything back. We don't hesitate to put our entire being into our passionate love for God. There's another crucial aspect of loving God that's required as as a proof that we really love him as we should. Matthew tells us we should love our neighbors as ourselves. Now, I was good on those first four. Love the Lord your God with all your heart, your soul, your mind, strength. I'm all in. Love your neighbors as you love yourselves. Folks, you can't say you love God and you ignore the hurt that your neighbor's going through. You can't say you love God and and ignore or harbor hatred or bitterness or jealousy or envy or any of those things towards your neighbor or the people that are around you. Matter of fact, the minute that you're angry towards someone else, your love for God begins to fade. Do you understand that? When we start to allow ourselves to get angry, that's when our love for God will begin to fade. 1 John 4, 19-21, it verifies this because it says, We love because He first loved us. If anyone says, I love God, yet hates his brother, he is a liar. For anyone who does not love his brother whom he has seen cannot love God whom he has not seen. And He has given us this command. Whoever loves God must also love his brother. In Galatians, we're given a list of the fruit of the Spirit. The gift of the Holy Spirit is given to us when we're baptized. We receive this special blessing, this this gift of the Holy Spirit in our lives. He begins to process. It begins the process of not only training us in holiness and encouraging us in how we're going to live our Christian life, He manifests the characteristics of who He is because He is God living in us. You see, the fruit of the Spirit, our fruit, and it's not fruits with an S, it's just one fruit that will be revealed in our lives as we keep in step with the Holy Spirit. You see, in your walk with God, if you notice the order of the fruit of the Spirit, the first one is, say it with me, love. First one is love. I want to read from Galatians 5, 22 through 25 as the praise team comes forward. It states, but the fruit of the Spirit is love. Joy, peace, patience, kindness, goodness, faithfulness, gentleness, and self-control. You can shorten all those to love God with all your heart, soul, mind, strength, and love your neighbor as yourself. But again, love is first. Against such things there is no law. Do You see that? When when we're doing that, when we love God and love others, we don't have to worry about the law because the the law was in place to condemn. Love is in place to set us free. Those who belong to Christ Jesus have crucified the sinful nature with its passions, its desires. Since we live by the Spirit, let us keep in step with the Spirit. Love is the foundation from which all the other fruit can be manifested. Think of it this way. If we love God, if we have love for God and others, we'll have joy in our heart. If you have love for God and others, you're going to have peace in your mind. If you have love for God and others, it will manifest in our actions of kindness, goodness, the way we treat not just each other, but people we've never even met before. Loving God and loving others will be fostered by by our faithfulness, by our self-control, The fruit of of gentleness will be a result of our love for God and our love for others because that agape, selfless love will permeate our heart, our mind, our soul. It will permeate our church. It will permeate our culture, our our community, our neighborhoods. And our actions will show it. That's the key. Our actions will show it to be true in our lives. Matthew chapter 26, verses 6 through 13 says this. While Jesus was in Bethany in the home of Simon the leper, a woman came to him with an alabaster jar, a very expensive perfume, which she poured on his head as he was reclining at the table. When the disciples saw this, they were indignant. Why this waste? they asked. This perfume could have been sold at a high price, the money given to the poor. Aware of this, Jesus said to them, Why are you bothering this woman? She has done a beautiful thing to me. The poor you will always have with you, but you will not always have me. When she poured this perfume on my body, she did it to prepare me for burial. Truly, I tell you, wherever the gospel is preached throughout the world, what she has done will also be told in memory of her. Brothers and sisters, the first secret of love is that love is the call of the believer. As we come into our response time this morning, I want to encourage you to come to Jesus and respond in the same manner of the woman I just read about. She brought the only thing she had of value, of worth. And she poured it over Jesus. And don't think, well, I I don't need to get baptized. I did that years ago. Or I don't need to join the church. Don't think like that right now because this response time, I don't want you to think it's not for you. I want you to think about your life. I want you to think about what you're willing to lay down at the feet of Jesus today. I want you to think about if you've been loving God with all your heart, your soul, your mind, your strength. I want you to think about if you've been loving your neighbor as you love yourself. Maybe for you, your neighbor is a family member that's somewhat estranged. Maybe it's a coworker that just gives you grief. We're still told to love our enemies. We're told to care for those who don't even like us. As we go into our response time, I want you to think about what you're willing to lay down at the feet of Jesus today. If you'd like to pray, the elders are here. We've got a spot where we can take you to for privacy. Um, If you have a decision, if you have a response to make, please do. But most of all, think about what God would have you do today as you get ready to go back into our community. Will you stand and sing with us? It's been great to be here with you all this morning and to worship with you. I hope that as you go this week, you will continue your family worship time at home. I pray that you've all been challenged by this first secret of love. Remember this, love is the call of the believer. Yeah, there are other things that we need to be about as Christians, but 1 Corinthians 13, 13 says, and now these three remain, faith, hope, and love. But the greatest of these is love. As you go this week, Go in love and be prepared to allow the love you have for God to direct you in ways of service and being a reflection of Him. Will you sing this last song with us?